Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. In October 2013, a bomb threat was made at Central York High School and nothing was found. Later, a student posted on Facebook that the bomb isn't found and goes off tomorrow. The student was originally suspended for 10 days and then it was increased to 23 days. The student's parents filed a federal lawsuit saying their son's First Amendment rights of free speech were violated. A judge ruled the student's or the school's safety concerns outweighed the student's First Amendment rights. But it brought up a point, really several points, a school's authority to punish students for something that occurred outside of school. Our guest today is Mark Jeremy Walls, a former deputy district attorney and education law attorney who specializes in technology issues. Mr. Walls, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. If you have a question or comment, think about this. This is one of these uh, issues that arises that uh, technology pretty much has uh, dictated that this becomes an issue. But uh, as we'll find out, there isn't a lot of legal precedent for what we're talking about today. We we welcome your questions and comments. Give us a call, 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. You also can leave a question or comment on witf.org or, ironically, on WITF's Facebook page. Again, that phone number is 1-800-729-7532. All right, let's talk about this case a little bit. Why is this case so different? Well, Scott, this is the first case um, in a long line of, of social media cases involving students where you see the court really coming down on the side of the school district. Um for a long time, both the Supreme Court and uh, the courts here in Pennsylvania and the Third Circuit have said that um, school districts can't impinge upon free speech rights for students, that students have free speech rights. They can write what they want on their Twitter pages and Facebook pages. And the line that appears to be crossed is when we're talking about threat cases. So now, uh, post-Columbine, in an era of school shootings, in an era of potential bomb threats, uh, courts don't seem to be willing to say that that is protected First Amendment speech. Well, and just to kind of you know go over or expound upon what I described in my introduction, uh, this student who had not, there was a note that was found about the original bomb threat. This student uh, didn't have anything to do with the original bomb threat as far as we know, uh, but just posted on Facebook that, uh, you know, the mistake was made, the bomb will go off uh, tomorrow. Um, so, But he was found, they found him, you know, he put it on his Facebook page, so he knew exactly who he was. The administrators uh, talked to him in a football game, and his father that night originally uh, suspended for 10 days and then 23 days. So, you know, for a lot of people, that seems cut and dried, that yeah, that sounds like a threat. Now, originally, the school was going to uh, suspend him based on making terroristic threats. They backed off that a little bit and, and uh, referred to it as disruption of of the school day. So talk about all those things, if you would. Well, well this is a really interesting case because, because the facts aren't quite as cut and dried as, as they might appear at first. So there was a bomb threat. Uh, initially, there was a note found at the, at the school. And then there was a second social media post about the initial threat. So this is all on what I'll call day one. Uh, And the uh, state police uh, dogs had to be called in to search the school, uh, to essentially clear the school. And at that point, 
uh, the school administration said, you know what, the amount of time it's going to take to clear the building, we might as well cancel school for the day. Uh, so while school was canceled, school was not in session that day, uh, the student at issue here, uh, the, who is, goes by the initials RL in the case, uh, the student at issue posted on his Facebook page, only for his 300 Facebook friends, uh, but he posts on his Facebook page uh, that there's a plot twist. Uh, the bomb isn't found today and goes off tomorrow. Now, the court doesn't really get into analyzing the, the term plot twist, uh, but people on social media may, may recognize that kind of language uh, as the thing that means I'm commenting on the story. I don't actually mean I'm making a threat. I'm just commenting on the story that is taking place. Uh, and about three or four hours later, the student deleted it off his Facebook page. So you had mentioned that night the superintendent drove out to a football game to interview this student. Uh, again, school had not been in session at all. Uh, during, that during that entire afternoon of day one. Uh, and so the next day, you know, that night that student admitted uh, that he had put the post on Facebook, said it probably wasn't a good idea, that's why I took it down. Uh, and the school punished him for that social media post that was, again, outside of school on the theory that it was going to interrupt or cause a disruption on day two. Now, the parties pretty much agreed that it didn't really disrupt day two. There were a couple parents who called in, a couple students who raised concerns about safety on that day. Uh, but there wasn't really a disruption. But what the court said is that it was likely to cause a disruption, and therefore that student could be punished. And so this is applying the standard that has long applied to in-school speech, which is whether it causes a disruption or not. We're now applying that to off-campus speech. And so the court seemed to have some trepidation about doing that, uh, but came down on the side of, well, if it is likely to cause a disruption, school districts can punish kids for things they write on social media. Okay, so even though the post was made outside of school and outside of when school was not in session, it pertained to what was going on at the school. And by the way, I should mention that uh, this was federal judge John Jones, who seems to make a lot of uh, uh, high-profile uh, rulings. But uh, Judge Jones ruled that, uh, as I said in the introduction, that the school, you know, perceiving that threat superseded the, the students' First Amendment rights. But does that have anything to do with the case that uh, or does it have a big part to play in that uh, this had to, the threat had to do with something that would have occurred at the school? Yes, certainly, you know, the forecasting a disruption has to do with, well, you know, are the dogs going to have to be called back in? Are parents going to be upset? Are teachers going to have to calm students down? And so all of these cases are very highly fact specific. But it puts the hard part for school districts, and when we're counseling school districts, is to say these things are so fact-specific, it's hard to create bright-line rules for principals, for superintendents to know. And a lot of times they don't know all of the facts because things take place on social media outside of school.
So I, I guess I'm one of the things I'm wrestling with, and I can tell that uh, from some of our callers, same question. What basis did the parents have to file the lawsuit? So ordinarily, in the, Supreme, the U.S. Supreme Court has been, has been completely clear that students have First Amendment rights both in school and out of school. Uh, in fact, the standard that we use is called the Tinker Standard, and has to do with students' right to have an anti-war protest in school during school hours, as long as it doesn't cause a disruption. Uh, and so students have these First Amendment rights. Uh, just uh, a couple years ago, in 2012, uh, the highest court in this area, the Third Circuit Court of Appeals, held that students have the right on their MySpace page to essentially make fun of their principals. There were, there were two cases. One was called J.S. versus Blue Mountain. The other was Layshock versus Hermitage. And in both of those cases, students created parody profiles making fun of their principals and really saying some, some vile things, you know, allegations about principals um, having inappropriate contact with students, uh, you know, that they not just, oh, I don't like this person. They're really some, some horrendous allegations. And those students' suspensions were overturned by the Third Circuit, saying that this did not cause a disruption in school, and, uh, and consequently, it is protected by the First Amendment. So if students have the right, as far as school punishment goes, to make fun of administrators, to say nasty things about administrators online, uh, the line that is crossed appears to be if it's going to cause an actual disruption in school. But to give you an idea of how, how difficult this line is, not two weeks before this new, this new case from Central York, a case out in Oregon uh, found that a, a student saying of his teacher, she needs to be shocked, was protected by the First Amendment. And I think that's shocking to a lot of people. That, uh, that a student saying that their teacher should be shot is protected by the First Amendment. But that is how the federal courts are wrestling with this. Hmm. Well, Judge Jones said in his ruling that there is not a lot of precedent. And he, he cited some cases, but he also said there's not a lot of precedent. I mean, we are dealing with a new world. I mean, this is still relatively new technology. I mean, students have, as you said, have protest in schools and wrote letters and notes. But, you know, it's only been within the last 10 or 15 years that they've had social media at their disposal to at their, you know, being the, at their disposal, I should say. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised with 10 to 15 years, there isn't more precedent for it. I, I'm surprised too. Uh, in fact, uh, 10 years ago, I wrote a paper about this saying we need a standard uh, saying that the standard for student social media speech isn't defined and we need a standard. And, and here we are. Uh, it's still not defined. The Supreme Court hasn't taken up any of these cases. And what we're left with is these fact-specific analyses that are nearly impossible to explain to a principal. So when we do trainings, you know, a principal will say something to me about, well, what if the, instead of saying the word bomb, a student uses the emoji symbol for a bomb or a gun? Am I supposed to take that seriously? And what if they say, just kidding, after the post? Am I supposed to take that seriously? 
And what Judge Jones does quite smartly here is say it doesn't matter what the student's actual intent was. It doesn't matter at all. What matters is how the school administration interprets the, the perceived threat. So he, he, he doesn't really, Judge Jones doesn't really get hung up on the fact that this is only posed to this uh, student's Facebook followers or Facebook friends. He seems to say what matters is a threat was conveyed, it made it to the school, and the school administration took it seriously. And that seems to be reasonable, so that student can be punished for that. I'd be surprised if any school wouldn't take that seriously, even if it said just kidding or the emoji or whatever, because, you know, no no school wants to be the next Columbine or, uh, you know, Sandy Hook or anything like that. Absolutely. And that, and that does seem to be a trend in these federal court cases. There are a couple that reference potential shootings. And in those cases, most of the courts come down in favor of the school, except for this one case out in Oregon uh, just uh, two weeks ago, which they seem to be suggesting that uh, no one would have taken it seriously, uh, that the student was just kind of saying it in jest, that the teacher needs to be shot. Uh, but it, it, that one's really kind of striking. We're going to uh, take some phone calls here in just a moment. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Our guest during this portion of the program is Mark Jeremy Walls. He's an education law attorney and who specializes in technology issues. A case that uh, occurred in the Central York School District back in October of 2013. Bomb threat called in. Student goes on Facebook later and says the bomb was supposed to go off tomorrow. He is suspended. His uh, parents filed a federal lawsuit saying that his freedom of speech, First Amendment rights were violated. We're talking about all those things today. If you'd like to weigh in, one 800 729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at WITF.org. You can leave a question or a comment on WITF's Facebook page. Again, that phone number is 1-800-729-7532. Let's take a phone call from Heather in Linglestown. Heather, you're on the air. Hi. Um, I guess what I'm not shocked about is that there's a complete lack of parenting here. You know, if my kid were to do something so stupid they would have consequences not only at school but at home. I think that this just kind of shows that our society is so sue happy and a way to make a quick dollar instead of actually showing these kids, hey, if you do something stupid, there's consequences. Here's your consequence. Be thankful that you didn't do it out in the real world at your job and posted something stupid like that and lost your job. I think that the lower 30% of the gene pool is taking over the world, and here is another example of it, poor hey, parenting. Heather, thank you very much for your call. Uh, you know, I w wondered what grounds did the parents, because it sounded from what I read that, that the parents, at least the father, was cooperative the first night that the superintendent talked to the son and uh, the, the, the father what was the the line that was crossed that set them off that uh, they did want to file the lawsuit? Was it increasing the, the length of the suspension? Uh, we, we don't have all that information from from the the judge's summary. Uh, and the judge indicates that this is this is a brief summary that it's not all of the all of the potential facts. but it is it is not all that common to see this type of response to uh, discipline for internet speech cases. 
Um, and, and traditionally, parents and students have done very well in the courts. Uh, and so this may be the pendulum starting to swing back a little bit towards school districts to say, you know what, things are kind of out of hand and schools have to deal with some of this on social media. Uh, and in fact, one of the things that we haven't talked about, Scott, is a lot of pressure on school districts to deal more with online speech because of bullying and cyberbullying. Uh, and the courts have traditionally said, no, you can't deal with that off, off campus. Uh, this case seems to suggest schools could do more about cyberbullying if it is causing a disruption in school. Well, let's talk about that. I mean, this is one of the biggest concerns that school districts have, that schools have nowadays. It has gotten so much attention of, you know, again, because social media is there and it gives uh, uh, students the opportunity to go online and say nasty things, to bully, to cyber bully other kids. Uh, it just sounds as if it's one of those things that I, I don't. It's obvious from just talking to you this morning, Mark, that nothing is cut and dry in the law, but uh, especially when it comes to free speech. But this makes it difficult for schools as well. Well, I think, and this is an area that I think there's a lot of misunderstandings that that parents. Uh, I hear from principals all the time that you know parents want schools to do more about cyberbullying. That they'll bring out a printout about what happened online at home. Uh, and the legal precedent kind of up to this point has been if it is out of school and it's not disrupting school, schools aren't allowed to punish kids for that conduct. It, it may be that the parents have to go to the police or, or handle it some other way, uh, which is kind of unsatisfying uh, and, and not all that helpful. Uh, but schools haven't really been legally permitted to uh, – to get involved with student discipline for things that involve off-campus speech. Uh, so if we're following the lessons from this case, from what Judge Jones suggests in this case, uh, if it is likely to cause a disruption in school, and maybe even for one student, so the victim of cyberbullying isn't coming to school or is scared to come to school, uh, I can see school districts succeeding uh, in court by saying, well, this is going to cause a substantial disruption in school. Uh, just look at the effect on the victim uh, and then being allowed to do more about cyberbullying. So I think that's an unintended consequence that sometimes we separate these First Amendment cases from uh, cyberbullying. But it's, it's really all the same law. Uh, about what kids can write on social media. You know, that doesn't sound like a very satisfying answer, I have to say, because all schools today have um, policies against bullying and cyberbullying in particular. But, you know, you say about the disruption of school or disruption on that student. All right, maybe a student isn't... Uh, showing outwardly showing uh, how they're feeling with their grades or how they are in class, but they still are scared or don't like it that they're being bullied online. That's not a, I mean, having to have that, that proof that something is being disrupted seems like a long way to go. And, and you know, even the, even the states that have tried to broaden that to say, you know, we're going to make school district's obligation for bullying be a little broader. Uh, they've had to limit their laws. Their statutes have had to be limited to when it is causing a disruption because they know that otherwise the, the, these laws will be struck down. 
So this really has to do with government power and, and that school districts are, are inherently limited in how much power they have when kids are outside of school. Uh, so it's important for parents to understand that, for school boards to understand that, uh, but also just to know that it, it is parent obligation uh, to monitor social media to try to handle it, and that aside from punishing, school districts still can get involved in uh, working with students on developing empathy and doing bullying prevention programs and things like that. It's just when we're talking about punishing kids for what goes on on social media uh, that sometimes the answers are less than satisfying uh, with the way the law currently is. By the way, why did they increase the punishment from a 10-day suspension to 23 days? That I don't know. You know, sometimes that happens in, in discipline context in school districts, uh, and sometimes there's an initial suspension. What, what is actually very common is sometimes there's an initial suspension, uh, and then the, the matter goes to the school board who considers a, a different punishment. Uh, so that may have been what happened here, that you know the initial suspension was imposed by the administration, uh, and then something later is imposed by the school board. That's not uncommon, uh, but I don't know the specific facts here of why, why that changed. All right, let's take another phone call from Max in Lancaster. Max, you're on the air. Yeah, good morning. Yeah, I, I hesitate to, uh, to see us have an expectation of uh, schools policing the social lives of students out, outside the schools. I know that the uh, social media is something of uh, a no-man's land, um, and, and, and that is a little scary to see, uh, to see an idea that people become to expect it. Um, but when, when their conversations start directing towards the school and impacting the classroom, I, I think schools have to have to pay attention. And I think uh, these almost adults should expect that, like, actual adults uh, in the line uh, at the TSA checkpoint in an airport, no matter how frustrated you get, you can't make any jokes uh, <laughs> about blowing the place up. It's, it's, it's not funny. And there is a responsibility that, uh, that has to be taken very seriously. Right. There are consequences. Max, thank you very much for your call. What do you think about that, Mark? Well, and that's, that's absolutely true. And one of the difficult parts for school administrators is certainly they can't be, they need to be in the classroom and they need to be in the halls. They can't be on social media monitoring everything that's going on and saying, oh, Timmy, you, you know, you shouldn't have said that or, or you know, trying to, to correct back what kids are saying online. Uh, so just when, when they find out that something uh, is posted online, I think every student and every parent has to expect school administrators to respond as if it is going to be serious. Uh, that if something is serious enough to, to draw attention to the account because of a threat, uh, because of some sort of danger, uh, you can expect that school administrators are going to take it seriously. Uh, one of the concerns that happened earlier this year uh, in, the, in the Lancaster area was there was a series of bomb threats over many days uh, in neighboring school districts, and that's kind of the copycat effect. Uh, and part of nipping this in the bud is trying to prevent that from happening. Um, by by addressing it at the first school district where that happens. Uh, so it's not that schools are consistently evacuated or put on lockdown or things like that. 
because our, our kids deserve to be going to school to learn, not just to uh, be doing lockdown drills every couple of days. We have an email here from Mike in Lidditz who says that some schools are starting to provide computers for every student. Does ownership of the computer make a difference in free speech where disparaging remarks or threats are made? Absolutely, it does. Uh, we work with a lot of school districts who are doing these uh, one-to-one initiatives where they give every kid a device. Uh, and because it is owned by the school district, uh, the school district can put rules into place on how that device is used. So if, if a threat comes through on a school district computer, uh, the rules are different, and it's much easier for school districts to uh, impose disciplinary consequences for that type of misuse of a district device than if, say, the device was made, uh, a threat was made from a student's phone uh, that the student owns. So that is a big difference that uh, that matters in these cases. Sometimes you have to figure out which account or, or how the threat was made. You know, was it made from a Facebook account? Was it made from a Twitter account? And if so, which device was used in order to make that? And it almost makes school technology professionals into forensic auditors trying to figure out how these things took place. What about location, where the threat was actually made, or maybe I should say where the Facebook post or social media post was actually made? I mean, okay, now RL, as the student is known in this case, made it from home, supposedly, but what if he was standing on school grounds using his own uh, cell phone when he made the threat? Um. Typically, if it takes place during the school day or at a school activity uh, or on a school bus or something like that, the school district you know, has control over that student's conduct uh, and can discipline uh, the, the student, even if it is their own personal device. Uh, so it is, it is right on the line, and uh, I'm sure that we'll be seeing some of those cases come across the federal courts in the coming years. Um, but normally, school districts have more authority when a kid is in school, even if they're on a private social media uh, account on their private phone. As long as they're in school, schools do have uh, you know, much more latitude uh, in imposing discipline. You know, the example we have heard over the years about free speech and you know, something that gets an emotional response is, and it's almost become a cliche, is yelling fire in a crowded, uh, in a crowded theater. Um, how does this compare to that? Well, you know, when, when we're, we're talking about these First Amendment cases, mostly what we're talking about is do school boards and school administrators have the authority to punish students. Um, separate and apart from that, uh, we have all sorts of existing laws that uh, allow civil remedies. So for instance, we talked earlier about the cases where students were making fun of the principals, uh, and the, the court said, well, schools can't punish kids for that. And that's true, schools may not be able to punish kids for that, but that doesn't mean that the principal can't sue those students for defamation of character uh, in civil court. Uh, and there are certain uh, types of speech restrictions, like you mentioned, uh, you know, inciting violence or inciting uh, some type of uh, fight or something like that. 
that type of speech has has long been allowed to be regulated by the Supreme Court. Uh, so I would I would suggest that you know if school administrators were looking at a case where someone was you know planning a fight online or something like that, uh, even if it hadn't taken place, um, the the planning of a disruption, the forecast of a disruption allows school districts to get in and remedy that that situation uh, and impose discipline. Mark, you said earlier, and Judge Jones said in his ruling, that there isn't a lot of precedent. Uh, what are we missing? As you said, you had uh, recommended 10 years ago that uh, rules have to be in place. But what are we missing? What haven't the courts ruled on when it comes to social media, when it comes to students' First Amendment rights? Well, every time we get one of these cases, uh, you know, there's only been a handful of student speech cases since the 50s. Uh, uh, you know, in the U.S. Supreme Court, there's only been about five student speech cases uh, that have to deal with these First Amendment issues, and there's been none that have to deal with social media. Um, part of it is the amount of time it takes to bring these cases. Uh, for the MySpace uh, threat case, uh, the MySpace uh, principles, and you're making fun of the principles, those cases took five years to make it through the system. I mean, MySpace was basically, you know, on life support by the time the case got to, to the, the highest court. Uh, so it just takes a long time for these cases to wind through the system. Uh, this case, which, you know, there was just the decision on, uh, we're talking about, you know, a threat that was made, you know, more than two years ago. Um, so... You know, sometimes these cases take a long time to wind through the system, and that's one part. And the other part is, you know, quite frankly, and Judge Jones does a really nice job of laying out the past cases and the past standards that courts have applied, uh, but putting interpretation of what kids are doing on social media in the hands of federal judges is difficult. <laughs> and federal judges don't necessarily want to weigh in on a firm standard without guidance from the U.S. Supreme Court. You know, we're going to have to talk sometime about, uh, like, school newspapers. Uh, you know, there have been a number of cases, as you said, none to the Supreme Court of social media, but there have been cases, I don't know if they've made it to the Supreme Court, of where uh, a student newspaper has criticized uh, the school and the school has tried to shut down the paper. We'll have to talk about that sometime. I, I, I would love that. Okay, let's do it then. Our guest has been uh, Mark Jeremy Walls. He's an education law attorney who specializes in technology issues. Mark, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Unmanned aerial vehicles, or drones as they are known to most people, are becoming commonplace. Today's drones are inexpensive and are being used in a variety of ways by almost anyone. Law enforcement, firefighters, and farmers are using drones now and have thought of many different ways they could be used. But since they are inexpensive and so many are flying them, there are safety and privacy concerns about drones. So much so that government is getting involved. Hearings have been held on drones, and today's guest is considered the prime mover on the issue here in Pennsylvania. Joining us is Republican State Senator Mike Fulmer of Lebanon County. Senator Fulmer, thank you very much for joining us today. Well, thank you very much for having me. Well, we have you on the phone because you're having car problems today. <laughs> It's a long story. Okay, but, well, uh, as it turns out, it'll be all good. All right. Well, but, I just uh, wanted to know because I I know that you said the last time 
that, that uh, when you ran for re-election, you'll go back to selling tires. Yes, and it I wasn't just, a tire problem. Okay, but I just it was, it was a key problem. Wow. It's, we got new key. We got a new vehicle. I get the hand me down. I went to get the car to start the car, my new old car, and uh, my wife had all my keys. See, you know, I was talking about technology, and we're talking about technology here. Sometimes the old-fashioned way is the best way. All right, as I said, Senator, you're described as the key mover on this issue. Why? What what are your concerns? Well, okay, um, my my original concerns were with um, the, the the use of drones with with uh, uh, by law enforcement and of course military on on U.S. soil um, and and primarily for this reason uh, as we're going into the 21st uh, century here we're in 2016 now uh, technology has our 21st technologies have have just grown greatly and and whether it's on on you were speaking earlier in another segment on social media to to all all these new wonderful technologies uh unmanned uh, aerial vehicles aka drones are are a great invention uh they have a lot of useful activities that can help our military do surveillance and and actually do military uh, um, uh, uh strikes uh, without uh, putting human beings in harm's way uh, they can be used by law enforcement for uh, amber alerts and search and rescues and so forth, farmers for crop dusting. I mean, there's just a ton of ways that these, this can be used in a very positive way. But going forward, uh, what, what, how, how do we handle these things in accordance to our Constitution, specifically our Fourth Amendment rights? And that's where, what, what brought my attention. So that uh, Fourth Amendment against unlawful or unreasonable search and seizure. Sure. Uh, And again, this is one of the things that uh, we as a society deal with, the courts deal with all the time. And it sounds from what you're describing is you don't think that we've kept up with the technology. Well, I and and that might not be anybody's fault because technology is so changes happen so fast. I mean, I, I, I. I'm 60 now, and I, I, I can remember as a business guy out as, uh, on, on the road not having a cell phone. Uh, not, uh, fax machines were the thing, I think. Was the, <laughs> I mean, but, but here we are. We can, like, take instant pictures. We can, we, we can have cameras in, in everybody's face. And, 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 and again, these, these drones can be used for, for great things, but I just want to be careful that, that, that as citizens – uh, uh, our Fourth Amendment rights won't be violated. So the, my, my purpose of my, uh, my my bill 875, which basically was a, a copy of what Virginia did, was put a two-year moratorium, except for the use of uh, for like search and rescue and, and things of that nature, just so that we can have the debate of making sure that 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 people's rights won't be uh, uh, encroached upon. If you have a question or a comment about uh, Senator Fulmer's bill and his proposals, his concerns about the use of drones, give us a call, 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. Leave a question or a comment on WITF's Facebook page. Again, that phone number is 1-800-729-7532. All right, let's talk about that two-year moratorium. Now, that two-year moratorium that you said you patterned after Virginia's mm-hmm. law. Now, that's only on the use of government drones yes, over private exactly. property, right? Yeah, and when we first do, did this, and this is how fast this industry has been growing, um, since then, I, I, I think this past Christmas was like like mega sales on drones uh, for, for hobbyists. 
and, and such. So I, I think we have a lot of – I think we need to look at this even deeper because you may have folks having drones, which then they have these cameras on them, and, and they could be flying over your property taking pictures of your house. You, you see what I'm saying? Um, th- things of this nature. I, so, I mean, when we first did the bill, it was primarily for, for government use. But but we actually should be looking at, at also and as, as far as uh, the the private hobbyist. We have an uh, one of our callers called in that uh, didn't want to be on the air, but wanted me to pass this along. Uh, said the drone should not be able to be flown by people's windows peeping in. She doesn't want her particular neighborhood identified, but a drone flew past her window the other day. She wants more laws about individual drone use. Uh, she said she's already talked to her state representative about it, and uh, the Pennsylvania Game Commission is also outlawing, outlawing drones on their property. So, you know, that, that is one of the things when you're talking about privacy. These things can be used so many ways, and you would hate to think that there would be, but we know that this is the case, that there are people out there who would use them to spy on other people or to uh, peep in windows or, you know, when they're out in their backyards and they're flying overhead. So what about what kind of regulations do we have in place now? And is there any move to try to regulate drones for private use? And we can talk about the Game Commission in just a moment. Well, as as far as on on, by the use of the private person going forward, um, uh, I I don't know of any uh, legislation and I, I didn't introduce any yet either. Uh, we were a little bit busy, but um, th- these concerns are, are great concerns because everybody needs to realize that their rights end at the end of their nose or the end of their property. And once you start finding these things over people's private property, like this, that this person that that uh, wanted to stay identified, um, uh, th- this is great concerns. And like I said, you can put these high, uh, 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 very uh, soph- uh, sophisticated cameras that are, are are not really all that costly on these things and, and, and it can cause a bunch of problems. I, I, I think we really need to, to, to vet this and vet it publicly and, and uh, come up with some solutions because, uh, um, again, I don't want to ban the technology because there's a lot of great usages for it by both our law enforcement, military, private sector, and so forth. I mean, electric companies can go up and down their power lines and, 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 and to make sure they're, they're all working right. But when it comes to our privacy, we've got to make sure that we hold dear our, our Fourth Amendment rights specifically and, and when it comes to this issue and, and, uh, and, and, and need to deal with it uh, appropriately. We have a call here from Jeff. And, Jeff, I understand you're from Colorado. Are you driving through? Are you visiting? But your question is a very, very good one. Jeff, are you there? Yeah. Um, no, I'm visiting here helping my parents. They need help. But, oh, okay. Uh, my question is that, okay, there's a camera on the drone, there's cameras on the street, and you had mentioned there's a camera in your, in your face all the time. With these laws, uh, you know, I know we're, we're, we're trying to get the uh, conversation started, and the senator is doing that. But bottom line is, when they start passing these laws, is that going to have any precedent for all cameras? Is that going to have any precedent for my uh, privacy rights as far as, you know, people can, you're walking down the street, or even on your property, a neighbor can snap a picture of you. I think that part of it is is a violation in my privacy. So, what bearing would that have going setting a precedent and going over into that thing with everybody with their cameras on their cell phones? Hmm. That's a great question. It Jeff, is a great question. Thanks. 
and, and what we need, and this is why we need to do this in a very deliberate fashion. We just can't do this by a knee-jerk reaction. We need to be very careful because there are rights of, of, of course, the person and of, of their privacy, and there's also rights of the person who has the, 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 the let's say, the drone or the camera and so forth, which brings me to my point that, that it's unfortunate that, that while we have these freedoms, we have to also understand with freedoms comes personal responsibility and accountability. And, and when we don't do that, then we start running into problems, and then we have to start infringing on people's rights by, by uh, taking away uh, some of those rights. But the, my, I guess my whole point of, of what I'm trying to make here is this, is that when we look into this, uh, like I said, my, my bill, 875, was primarily for military use against American citizens and making sure our Fourth Amendment rights weren't being violated without proper uh, warrant and so forth. But now it's, it's going to be expanding over into, uh, 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 in, in, into the private side and in, into the public sector uh, side of things with, with, these, with all these drones out there flying around with, with cameras. Which then, as the caller just just mentioned, brings another question about you know even cameras on your iPhone or or so forth. I mean, I I, I don't want to become totalitarian, I but I do, and, and and at the same time, no, I want to make sure people's rights are not going to be violated, and that's why we have to look at this. I, I think hearings with I mean I, I hate to use the term because that's all we seem to be doing in Harrisburg is have hearings, uh, but but this is a, an issue that I think properly vetted, I do believe we could come to a good conclusion. You know, I can see a court case coming out of this, but you know, something that, uh, Jeff, I'm I'm just thinking about the scenario, Uh, and, you know, we've run into this in the media on, on, you know, with television cameras. Uh, When you're on a public street, for the most part, you can pretty much take a picture of anything you want. Um, I I can see a, a, a private owner of a drone saying, hey, wait a minute, uh, you know, I have the if I can see this from the air, I should be able to take a picture of it. Right. <laughs> I mean, I, I, again, I guess that's something that uh, a, a court would have to decide. But, uh, uh, you know, because we do have weigh those privacy rights against the rights of someone who you know, was taking a photograph for that point. All right. Let's go to Gary in Juniana County. Gary, you're on the air. I just wanted to say one of these technologies is how do you catch the perpetrator? I, I don't – when they had the big forest fires and they were flying these drones and they said they couldn't take the uh, tanker trucks or tanker airplanes up because there were drones in the area, hmm. how do you find the person that's sending up the drone? I don't even see how this is – you know, it, I don't know what the range on some of these. I'm sure as you get to the more expensive ones, the range gets further and further. But did, where would you go to even start unless somebody – you know, ratted out somebody or tattled on somebody, how would you know how to find the person that sent the drone up? That was my question. Well, well, Gary, you know, before the senator responds to that, you know, that was one thing that the federal government was trying to do. The FAA was wanted to make sure that they all were registered. <laughs> so now you have a million possible suspects. You <laughs> yeah. know, how do you narrow it down to yeah. the person that actually causes and honest if somebody causes some kind of huge damage or it flies into an airplane or it crashes into a car and causes an accident unless you actually have a model or serial number or actually get the drone itself i don't see how you would even be able to find the person that that you know perpetrated this mm. thank you hey thanks for your call senator did that come up in the hearing oh well actually we actually didn't have the hearing yet we had a, oh, i uh, thought you had one last month 
Right. Well, yes. Um, and we, but, but again, if that hearing on, let me let me back up. That hearing was primarily dealt with law enforcement and so forth. Okay. Now, but what we're going forward with, and and again, this this caller from Juniata County brings up an excellent point. Uh, and 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 we really got to get into this because uh, that was the whole purpose of Senate resolution. Now, this was just a resolution that I worked with uh, Senator Williams, Senator Senator Anthony Williams with. Which would be uh, uh, would, which would call for a full for, for the full Senate and for the Joint State Government Committee uh, to uh, uh, conduct a study on the use of unmanned drones by state and local agencies, including law enforcement and even the private sector now. Because I, I, I mean, he brings up a very good point. I mean, are we going to have to? And I'm just saying this. I'm not saying I'm advocating this. Are we going to have to have people with these things ended up having to be licensed so that you have? I, I don't know. I mean, but th- th- these are things that need to be looked at uh, because, like I said, this is – I won't want to – I wouldn't want to ban the technology. The technology is awesome. It has a lot of great uses. But, but when, when people get a hold of them and they don't use their, 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 don't use them responsibly, then we're going to be forced to be talking about what we're talking about right now. Well, yeah, and, you know, one of the – and I have to admit, this is kind of a scary commercial, television commercial, that commercial where – and I think it's for a car company – uh, where these people are all in a building and there are dozens of drones outside. And when they walk outside, you know, the one guy says, you know, be quiet, be slow. And when they yeah. walk out, someone yells and the drones follow them all over the place. I think that's the kind of thing that scares people. Right. But, um, you know, what the federal government was concerned about and. There even are some local municipalities that uh, have banned the use of drones in their municipalities is that they would be interfering with airports. Uh, They would be interfering with medical evacuations or agricultural uh, spraying or black fly fly spraying that uh, if you don't know there's a drone in the area that the tower where there's another helicopter or a plane has to keep someone out of there if they don't know they're there. There's the potential for a catastrophe. Well, then I, you know what, and and that's what, and that's what we, we have to do additional hearings on, and and have one that's very comprehensive to talk about these very issues because, because you brought, those are all excellent points and 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 things that that people would not normally think about. Uh, this is not a toy. I mean, they're they're basically sold as toys, but they're basically not a toy because now they're in they're flying around, which is now. Could probably come under, under and should come under the FFA, uh, just like you know ham operator, ham radio operators were uh, under uh, under uh, 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 supervision. You were at the FCC, right? Yeah, with the FCC, right? Mm-hmm. And and it might be something along those lines. Again, these are just things off the top of my head, and this is why a hearing would be so good because because we need to look at this. I mean. Uh, uh, like I said, it's a great technology. Uh, farmers can use it for, like I said, crop dusting and so forth, and search and rescues, and 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 amber alerts, and and things of this nature, and and and, and military uh, uh, uses all over the place. But on the same token, as we're bringing them to the, the to, to the private citizen through through uh, commercialism, which is fine, I'm not against it. Uh, it's it's bringing in this this whole uh, arena because uh, this is not like flying a uh, a model airplane, or or <laughs> around the park. This is something that 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 can get height, distance, and 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 could interfere with helicopter flights, uh, uh, all types of uh, 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 air travel. Uh, you know, and something else that is apparently 
not far down the road is the delivery of packages. And, uh, you know, once you start talking about that, you're looking at uh, a huge increase, I would think, in the, the number of drones flying around, uh, because just think about how many packages are delivered every day. Now, that, not every package could be delivered that way, but this appears to be a technology that is only going to grow. As you pointed out last yeah. Christmas, it was one of the biggest gifts that uh, many people got. And, you know, I think it's a good thing to say that Probably most people are using these things very responsibly. Sure. And, you know, some of the photography that you get is just unbelievable yes. when you see, uh, you know, the photography of drones going over, uh, over, you know, a city or a countryside or something exactly. like that. But as you said, it also uh, takes that responsibility as well. One of our callers mentioned the Game Commission. Mm-hmm. Um, and just as I was describing you know, flying over an area that is beautiful and people want to see the scenery. <laughs> uh, we have game lands across the state uh, where many people would want to do that, or state forest. Uh, but the game commission is very concerned because, you know, maybe there could be protest. Maybe there could be, uh, uh, you know, animals that would be, uh, their lifestyles would change. A lot of different things that come into it. What have you heard from the game commission on this? I haven't heard anything from the Game Commission, uh, personally. Uh, that doesn't mean they're not speaking about it. And just because they didn't hear about it doesn't mean they weren't speaking or uh, talking about it. But I haven't heard anything personally mm. from the Game Commission. Um, again, it, it, with this issue, with the, the use of uh, drones, period, uh, by all folks, this is why we, we, we're going to have to do some more hearings on this. And then really buckle down to, to come up with, and, and on a very deliberate basis, come up with some, some uh, uh, ways to, to see how we want to go forward. Uh, I hate new laws. Uh, we have a lot of laws now, but uh, this is, I just want to make sure that, that, we're, that we're staying on top of, of all these technology changes. My concerns are with the Constitution and people's civil liberties. That, that was my whole introduction to this whole thing. I, that's, that was my whole my, my point. But there's also, the, for, for, for the citizens out there that have these, you know, please remember with every freedom comes responsibility. And if you don't do it responsibly, then you're going to be forcing the legislature to make laws that will infringe upon your, your, your own personal liberty. So I'm, I'm just asking folks that actually have these, use them responsibly and, and, and safely. But uh, uh, we definitely do need to... Uh, uh, look into this deeper. Uh, Senator, we only have about 30 seconds left. I want to thank you very much. In fact, one of our uh, listeners said, thank your guest for broaching this subject. And he talks about being flat-footed by rapidly advancing technology. Uh, and maybe that brings up a point. I mean, it seems as though in Pennsylvania, a lot of times we are reactive rather than proactive. Mm-hmm. In about 30 seconds, how do we keep up with technology? That's a good question. I, I, I think we just need to be aware. And, and the best way to keep up with technology is by our citizens acting responsibly, doing that which is right simply because it's the right thing to do. Do the right thing. Now, we, could, we, we need to look at this, and, 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 and as, as a lawmaker, I want to make sure that, that people's uh, uh, individual civil liberties aren't going to be violated. But we need to be responsible, and, 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 that, and, that, and that can help. Senator, let me have to interrupt you there, but uh, Senator Mike Farmer, Lebanon County, thank you very much, and we'll pay sure. attention to this issue. Thank you. Thank you. Coming up on tomorrow's program, NASA astronaut and commander of the International Space Station, Douglas Wheelock.